All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to those who are joining us online. So we don't have any announcements today, so we can jump right in. We are finishing up our series called Unshakable Faith. And so uh, for all of you guys that are maybe new with us today or new joining online, I am going to give kind of a brief summary so that you can stay with us uh, inside of this. But if you want to go back and watch the messages, you can go on our app, you can go online. Uh, But it'd be great to get caught up because they all do um, go together. So here's Unshakable Faith. Unshakable faith, the the idea inside of Scripture is if you look at Christ and you look at it and you say, what amazes Christ? Like, what, you know, what are those things that when he looks at, he's like, oh, wow, I'm so amazed by that. A lot of times we would fill in the blank like showing up to church or reading your Bible or going to a Bible study or memorizing Scripture. But what we find inside of Scripture itself is when we read about it, he says the thing that amazes him is faith or great faith, right? Now, one of the things that we know about faith is that it's like a muscle, right? So uh, muscles, if not used, atrophy. Muscles that are used grow, right? Like that's the concept. So the idea is, is that for our faith to be unshakable, then we have to be able to grow our faith. And we talk about the unshakable part because normally when we say, you know, we want unshakable faith, what usually shakes, shakes our faith is circumstances of life, right? So you're going through life, we thought it was supposed to go a certain way and then it doesn't, right? Like you, you thought things were gonna go this way and then all of a sudden they don't go that way and everything that we thought we believed to be true now all of a sudden isn't and we're not really sure what to do with it, right? So our faith is a little bit shaken. So we want unshakable faith, which means no circumstance of life, regardless of whatever it is, will take us off center line or where God wants us to be. But to do that, you got to grow your faith, right? You just don't wake up someday and say, oh, I have the faith to be able to endure circumstances of life, so you have to grow. So how do you grow it? So we said, you know, there are five faith catalysts that we need to look at that will grow your faith. The first one was this, practical teaching. So he said, if you want your faith to grow, you need to understand practical teaching. And in practical teaching, the important part about this wasn't that you, first, you came to a church or you listened to a pastor online and you finally understood what he said and you took a lot of notes and then you kept them inside of your notebook and didn't do anything, right? Like that's not practical teaching. Practical teaching is being a doer of the word. Now, I don't want to sugarcoat this because, you know, if you've come to life long enough, we tend to just get to the point. Here's the point. If you're a doer of the world, a doer of the word, your house is going to stand when the storm comes. If you're a faker, meaning that you're going to take a lot of notes and do nothing with it when the storm comes, your house is going to fall. But there is no in between. Like you're either a doer of the word or you are a person who reads the word, takes a lot of notes, you know, puts them in your notebook, walks out of a sermon, says, wow, great message, or walks out of a Bible study saying, man, I'm so enlightened, but you don't change your life at all. That will cause your house to crumble when the storm comes. Then we talked about personal ministry. So here's what we know about personal ministry. So God says that you need to look at the world through his eyes. And when you look at the world through his eyes, we see a lot of problems, right? Like things in this world should grieve us, but here's the problem. What do you do about it, right? Like if you really look at a lot of the problems in the world, what do we do about those things? So here's the great thing about personal ministry, okay? Number one, you're not called to solve all the problems of the world, 
I mean, isn't that great? Right? Like you're not called to solve every problem. You're not caused to, called to you know, uh, solve world hungry, hunger or any of that stuff. Like you're just like, whatever God's called you to do, which is the great thing about Christianity and the uniqueness and diversity of Christianity. Every person in this room, I guarantee you, if you open yourself up to the leading of the Holy Spirit, he has something for you to do, right? Now, the problem with it is, is like, can I do it? And am I prepared? And do I know how? And what if it doesn't work? Well, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. That was the basis for it. So the idea was God can only multiply when you're involved. He can't multiply unless you're involved. So here's the great thing. All you have to do is hand out fish. You don't have to worry about the multiplication, right? The idea is just do your job or do the things that God's called you to do. And when you do, then he can multiply the things in life. And he can then change the world because you're obedient. Does that make sense? Right? So we need personal ministry. If you want him to do big things, you've got to be involved in it, right? It's not pray for big things to happen and never do anything about it. Okay? Then we said providential relationships are important to make this happen. So here's about providential relationships. Providential relationships are people in your life that will help you become a better person, right? Or when I say better person, not just better and like you get up on time and you're more organized, but better like this is what God's called you to. And so he's helping you become the person that God has called you to, to be. And here's the crazy thing about providential relationships. Providential relationships bring accountability, right? So providential relationships bring accountability. And everybody, I think, would say this. Like, I don't mind accountability until you're held accountable, right? Like, everybody's like, I need that accountability partner until he's like, okay, well, you're sucking and you need to do better, right? And then you're like, wow, I don't like that guy. You know, I don't know what business does he have in my life or why is he saying these things to me? Well, that's the whole idea of providential relationship. You better have somebody in your life that can speak truth because you need to hear the truth. And, and if you don't have that person, you're gonna end up living with blinders on. And so providential relationships were this idea that you would have somebody in your life that would speak truth so that you could move in a better direction, okay? Then last week was private disciplines, right? So we all know this. If you wanna do anything great in life, you better be disciplined, right? Nobody gets in shape by hoping to get in shape, right? You gotta have the discipline to get up in the morning. You gotta get, you know, the things that you need to do. Nobody gets well-read by never reading a book, right? We have disciplines to be able to, well, the same thing is in our spiritual journey. In our spiritual journey, you have to have private disciplines, and, and one of the things that we talked about is why it's so important. Private disciplines bring personal relationship, okay? Does that make sense? So private disciplines bring personal relationship where when we do things together corporately, too many times when we do things together corporately, like we can sing the songs and you can listen to what the preacher says, but at the end of the day, how's your personal relationship, right? Like what's God saying to you? I know what the preacher said and I know what somebody else said, but what is it that God's saying to me? Because at the end of the day, if your personal relationship is right, everything else can go wrong, but you can still stay in tune right? If your personal relationship isn't right, lots of things can rock your world, right? Things happen in the church, things happen around you. So we said you better get some private disciplines that build your personal relationship. So you need a quiet time. Give him the first part of your day, right? So we gave a 30-day challenge. This is the funny thing about 30-day challenges. In the beginning of the church, I used to give these 30-day challenges all the time, and I thought it'd be really cool to come back like two weeks later and say, who's doing the 30-day challenge? You know, I'm like pumped, thinking people are going to be like, I am, and like one person, 
I'm like, I'm going to stop asking because this is depressing, right? Like, so I'm just hoping you took the challenge to say, I'm going to give him the first minutes of the day. I'm going to give him, you know, the, the you know, percentage of my money. and I'm going to help him, you know, uh, be a part of that. But I hope you're doing some private disciplines to move. Those are things, those catalysts, if you do those things, they're going to grow your faith, right? And you're going to be able to move in the right directions. Now, we're going to end with today on a thing called pivotal circumstances, right? So pivotal circumstances, meaning that there are things, like if you sit down with anybody and you talk to them about their faith journey, here's what you're going to hear, right? So inside of their faith journey, you're going to hear this. So you remember that time when, right? So they're going to be this time in life when this happened and when this happened, it just exploded my faith, right? Like things went up and to the right after this happened and or you're going to hear this, this thing happened in my life and then all of a sudden I went backwards, right? These pivotal circumstances to help move us in the right direction or circum pivotal circumstances that moved us in the wrong direction. But we know that inside of everybody's story are pivotal circumstances and in those pivotal circumstances God uses them or wants to be able to use them to be able to grow your faith. So how do we handle pivotal circumstances? So in that, if you look inside of Scripture, one of the things that happened is God actually manufactured some of these things. So inside of that, you remember when he's like, everybody get together, I'm going to send you out, and you only got so much, and go into these villages, and I need you to do these things, and then come back and let me know how it goes, right? So that's what would happen, right? So they would go away, they would test their faith, or they would go in and do some things, and then they would come back and, you know, see how it went. Well, the same thing happened, like if you look at the life of Peter, right? So everybody knows Peter's story, right? So if you look at Peter and you see where he ended up, so this is where he ended up, right? So Peter ended up as God said, or Jesus said to him, you're going to be the cornerstone of my church. And at the end of Peter's life, he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like Christ. So if somebody was going to sit down with Peter and say, wow, Peter, how did you ever become the leader of a church? Or how did you ever get to the place where you would die for your faith, Right? Well, if Peter would tell his story, this is what he would say. Well, let me tell you about the time, right? So he's going to go back to these pivotal circumstances. So let me tell you about the time when, you know, we were all sitting in a room, and Jesus said, somebody here is going to betray me, and, you know, in betraying me, I'm going to be arrested. And then Peter stands up, like bold Peter, and he's like, just so you know, I'm going to die for you. Like, I'm going to do anything for you. Like, I'm never going to let somebody take you. I'm going to stand up and do. Then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember this, how the story goes? So then they go into the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the most pivotal time of Jesus' life when he's praying that possibly the cup pass him because he knows what's coming. And so he's sitting around praying, and he says to his inner circle, which is Peter is a part of it, stay awake and just pray. Like, and here's bold Peter saying, I want to die for you. What happens to Peter? He falls asleep. Like, he can't even stay up long enough to pray. Then, right, think about this. Then Jesus is arrested, and so Peter wants to see what's going on. And so, you know, like, Jesus is inside, and he's, you know, being questioned by everybody. And Peter's on the outside, and he's warming his hand around the fire. And this little 10-year-old girl comes up and be like, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Now, this is a 10-year-old girl. Like, what's the 10-year-old girl going to do? And how does Peter respond? I don't know who he is, right? Bold Peter, right, who's going to stand up and die, now all of a sudden can't even stand up to a 10-year-old girl, but then ends up being the leader of the church and crucified or dying for his faith. How did he get there? 
right? How, and how, this is the more important question probably for us, how do we get to that place? Like, how are you going to get that kind of faith? Well, here's what you need to know. If you think about the concept of what you believe, right? So you really don't know what you believe until you're tested in what you believe. Does that make sense? So you can say all day long, well, I believe, right? And you can say that you believe it until the testing comes, right? Here's Peter. I'll die for you until an 11-year-old girl challenges you, right? Until somebody challenges what you believe, right? Pivotal circumstances where it comes to the place where your faith in what you say is finally tested. Like you can sing about it. Like I think this is the thing that you need to think about. You can sing about it and you can read it in the Bible, but until it's tested, is it real? Right? And so until that faith is tested, how do we know that that faith is going to be able to withstand? So here's what happened to Peter. So test, fail, fail, fail. But remember this, inside of that failure, was Peter growing because of the test because he realized something about himself? We have to know that's true because he gets to the end and now all of a sudden he's on fire for Christ and willing to die. So inside of that, he learned something about his faith and needed to do something about it. But understanding that what you believe isn't truly foundational until that is tested. Now, we know this is true in, in the world. Like, I thought it was always funny when I was a mechanic. So this was how it always worked. So somebody would bring in their car, and so one of the things that they would ask us to do is mechanics has come up at Zerker's and look through some stuff, and we'd be like, hey, you know, like, you're probably going to need some tires, and you're going to probably need an alignment, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you're just trying to sell me, right? In fact, it might have been one of you guys. Like, you come in there, you're like, you're just trying to sell me new tires. I don't really need new tires. You know, I just know how these shops work. You take your vehicle in for an oil change, then you walk out and you got a $1,000 bill, right? And then all of a sudden, it snows, right? Like, you told them they needed new tires, and then it snows, and then all of a sudden, you're getting a call from that same person. You got to get me in right away. I'm flit off the road, and I can't get any traction, right? Like, Tires were fine when the pavement was dry, but now there's snow, it was tested, and you figured out that it was going to fail, right? Same concept, right? Or somebody who would say, you know, I'd tell them, like, hey, you know, we ran some diagnosis, and you know your cooling fan isn't working? Well, I don't notice any problem with it. Okay, that's fine. I'm just telling you your cooling fan isn't working. She's like, well, when I drive down the road, it's perfectly fine. Then they'll call up, you know, later, and they'll be like, I was sitting in traffic, and it was 90 degrees, and my car started overheat, and I can't figure out. You said the cooling fan's bad, but it doesn't do it when I'm driving down the road. I'm like, I know, because you're not using your cooling fan, right? The air from the, the vehicle coming through when you're driving 50 miles an hour is cooling your engine. You didn't need your cooling fan, right? But until it's tested, right? Or you could say you're in good shape, Right? Like, I think I'm in pretty good shape. Like, my kids got me this Apple Watch for Father's Day, and so I always thought it'd be interesting to see, like, how many steps do you take, and, you know, how many miles do you walk in a day, and how long do you stand, and so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I'm going through here, like, my average is 16,000 steps, and walk like eight miles, and stand 15 hours a day, and I'm like, I'm not feeling too bad. Well, then I got a load of calves in this week, and it was hot, and the calves had to be carried off of the truck down to the pens and put in. So 10 calves later, as I'm carrying them in, I'm like, I think I'm about ready to die. It's like 90 degrees. I'm like, I need to check my heart rate. This thing tells you what your heart rate is. It's like 185. I went in there, and I'm like, 
there ain't no way I'm going to do the Spartan race. Like, that just proves that it doesn't matter how much I walk. Once it finally happens, I'm about ready to die, right? But you think you're something, and then it gets tested, and then once it gets tested, it really gets revealed, right? Like, where you are really gets revealed. Or when you can say, and, and again, you might have said this, might have not said that, I'm really prepared, you know, I really know my material until you take the test, right? And then you take the test and you get an F. Like, I can't figure out why I got an F. Well, you didn't know, right? It revealed how much you really knew about the material that was in there. So understanding that we know that things will reveal themselves when tested, right? So the same concept is with faith. So when we look at pivotal circumstances, so I want you to turn to James. So that's what we're going to be looking today. So James 1, 2 through 4. Now, I want to give you a little context to this scripture because here's my hope for today. So today, I'm going to really be talking through my journey through this text um, and what God's revealing to me. But my hope is, is that for you, you can learn too, wherever you're at inside of your journey, what God wants to do with this. Because I've read this scripture numerous different times, and I've taught on this scripture numerous different times. But the context is this. So if you don't know this, if you're watching online or with us here today, my wife a couple months ago was diagnosed with stage four mesothelioma in her stomach and in her lung, right? So it's a fatal cancer, right? And also with that, you know, and they told us this, that what goes with mesothelioma in the stomach and the lung is, is that suffering, right? Like it's not, it's not like it's painful. It's, you know, you lose your appetite. Like all these things happen. And, and so anyway, so we got that diagnosis. They put on treatment, you know, and our hopes for where things were, would go haven't got there, right? And so, um, you know, in fact, they've declined a little bit. Still not giving up hope of what God can do and, you know, how he can do miracles, but it has declined inside of that. And so I told her, I knew that I was going to teach on this from the beginning, because when we put the message together, I knew that the last week was going to be on this idea that, you know, trials and suffering and, you know, what do we do with all of it? So I want you to think about this. So I'm, I'm sitting across from Sherry, who is suffering, who's in pain, who uh, is sick a lot of the time, and you read this to her. James 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Now think about this. You're sitting across from somebody's suffering and you're saying, hey, consider it pure joy that you've lost weight and you're sick and, and you know, that you're in pain and that you can't go outside and you need help. Like, consider this pure joy. Aren't you happy? Like, doesn't that come across as somewhat calloused? Like, you can read that scripture from the outside and look at a distant suffering and say, oh, yeah, I get it. You know, consider it pure joy. But look at it in front of you and say the same thing, right? Read it to the person that's suffering and say to them while they're sick and while they're suffering, I don't know why you're not happy about it. I don't know why you don't consider it pure joy. I don't know why all that, you know, now that you're processing that you might not have all the hopes and dreams of your life and everything that you wanted to happen, you should just be happy about it. Why, right? Like when you read the scripture, why would it ever be that James, through, through the word of God, would ever say to anybody 
who is suffering, consider it pure joy. And in the context of just that, like if you just take that piece of scripture and you look at it, you're right. It would not make any sense. If you just said, hey, you're going through suffering and suffering happens in the world and you just need to buck up and be happy about it because it could be worse. Like if you look at it in that context, yes, that scripture is very callous. That scripture doesn't make any sense. But if you add to it what James says, then it can start to make some sense. And I'm hoping that I can bring this all together for you. It says when you face trials of many kinds, because, right, there's this because of why you're facing the trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So whether you want to hear this or don't want to hear this, this is what you need to know. Suffering pulls back the veil on what you truly believe. Right? When you get to suffering and you get to this place where suffering is, is in front of you, it pulls back the veil and said, you can say that you believe something, but we're really going to see if you believe it. Right? Like you can sing the song about what you think is true, but once suffering happens to you, we're going to decide is it true or not. And the reason that that's so important, right? And we're going to go clear back to the beginning. Why is this so important? Because the most important thing to Christ is not whether or not somebody lives or dies, but whether their faith is complete. Not whether somebody suffers or doesn't suffer, but whether their, their faith is complete. So the idea of what James is bringing together, the reason that you could consider it pure joy is because when the veil is pulled back, if you do the right thing with it, this is what's key. So if you do the right thing with it, it's going to move you in the right direction. It's gonna grow your faith. It's gonna move you into a place that's gonna make you more complete inside of your faith. And although the circumstance of life isn't good, what it's going to do to your faith is irreplaceable. Does that make sense? It's gonna be irreplaceable, the testing in it. Now, this is where I wanna go through the journey with you for me, right? So this whole idea with this concept. The concept being that when your faith is tested, it reveals, or when you have suffering in your life, it reveals where your faith is truly at. So I want to start with this. Like, you're probably not going to be able to read it. I think last time they zoomed in on it. but So this is something that sits by our bedside uh, on Sherry's side. It says, there are all kinds of love in this world, but never the same love twice. And in there, it has a picture of, this might have even been the day we skipped school together, but, and you went in, and you get those little pictures made in those booths. Do they still have those at the mall where you get it and it like prints out little pictures of you? Yeah, that might be it. Anyway, you can even see on there, for all of you young people, on her ring finger, so that's my class ring with all the fuzzy stuff on it. Any old people remember that? Like when you actually are going to, when you're really, it's not talking, it's like I'm talking to the guy or not talking. No, like you're going steady when they're wearing your ring. Right, and those little fuzzy stuff on there. Not very many old people in this service. Like everybody in the first service, like, oh yeah, I remember that. Everybody out here's going, class rings? What do you do with class rings? Anyway, so here's what you need to know about Sherry and I. So Sherry and I have dated since I was 15 years old and essentially have been partners in everything, right? Like, so everything that we do or have done in our life has been a partnership. And, and, and again, I would tell anybody, I'm the man that I am today because of my wife, right? I've said that. I've said it a thousand times is that she gives me the ability to be able to be the person that God's created me to be. And so I want to give you with that context in mind of what Sherry means to me and how that all fits inside of my faith. In context now, I want you to see how that works back into 
this scripture. So in the beginning, when I became, uh, I decided to become a part-time youth pastor, right? So I'm like, God's calling me to be a youth pastor, and, you know, so I'm going to be a youth pastor part-time. Now, I don't know what I'm doing, and I've never done it before, but at the end of the day, I think I really want to do it, and so then I go, and I become a youth pastor, and Sharon and I talked about it, I become a youth pastor, and then I start youth group, and there's three people, and all of a sudden, you know, you think, oh, but it can grow from there, and then it's like, not growing from there and then you have these parents that complain about everything and so we were going down this road and things aren't going the way that they're supposed to go and I would come home and Sherry and I would have this discussion of like what if this doesn't work and you know this is what I really thought God wants me to do and wants me to be and we would sit there and we would laugh together because this is what we would say well what's the worst thing that could happen you get fired as a youth pastor but we still have each other like who cares I mean at the end of the day at the end of the day if this doesn't work it doesn't matter I still have you right so then it came to planning the church and so when we came to plant uh, life church it was a pretty big decision right because it was at the place where um, we had pretty much my career set. We had built a new home. We kind of had everything that lined up in the way that we wanted it to be. And then we made this decision to get rid of it all and come over into a community where we knew no one and we weren't really sure whether I was going to get paid or not, right, and planning a church. And we weren't even really sure if it was going to work. But together, we made that decision, right? And I said in the first service, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you it anyway. But when we first planted Life Church, it's going to be 18 years this October. But when we first planted it, Life Church Bluffton said, hey, you know what you need to do is send over a bunch of people from Bluffton so that when the people from Honey can come, it can look like it's working, right? So, you know, they sent over like 100 people. And so the first service, there was like 275 people. Yeah. <laughs> bad idea because then they all went back and then it went down like in july 4th weekend back then there might have been 10 people here right so it all would go down but in the midst of all of that you know struggles financially and struggles with whether the church is going to work and nobody's coming and people are upset and people always have something to say about who you are i would go home and i'd tell sherry and i'd be able to share with her like this is just gone and i don't know if it's going to work and i thought god called us and i know it was a big step of faith and we would both laugh right and we would say this but at the end of the day what's the worst thing that could happen the church doesn't work but we still have right? We still have each other. And now we get to today, and there's a possibility that the worst thing could happen. And now what do I do? Now what do you do? Because here's what I realized, and this is what I want you to do, okay? So I want you to do this, because when I came to this place of like, now I'm reading this scripture, and I'm just going to be honest with you. When I read that in, in the midst of all of this, when I finally realized I came to this place where there's a possibility that the worst thing could ever happen, I read this and I'm pissed. I'm not joyful. I'm not. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. Like, he says, consider it pure joy. I'm not joyful. I'm not happy, right? I have no idea. And then God said, well, you know, we need to, we need to pull back some layers 
we got some work to do because this is the choice I had and it's the same with you. When it comes to pain and suffering, you have a choice. You can sit in it and let God do what he wants to do in you or you can run away from it. And believe me, there have been people that have ran, right? Because we don't like disruption. That's what trials are. So trials are a disruption of peace in your life, right? So we don't like it. So anytime that there's a disruption of peace in our life, we tend to want to move away from that and find peace somewhere else, which is what a lot of people have done. God brings a trial. I don't like the trial. I'm going to go find peace, and I move into something, and God never does get to pull back the veil on your faith. And not only did you move in a direction that you shouldn't, you also didn't get a chance for God to do the work that he wanted to do inside of you, right? So I had to make a choice I can be upset about this and I can continue to go on and just be like, I don't like it. I don't like the way it is. I know I don't have a say. I'm not gonna lose my faith. Like, I'm not gonna lose my faith, but I'm also not gonna grow my faith because I'm just not gonna deal with it. Or, or, I can let him pull the veil back on what's really in here, okay? And so here's what I realized. You know why when those things were happening with the youth pastor and planning the church, you know why I could work through those things differently, that scripture differently than I can today? Because you know who eased my suffering? My wife. Right? Because yes, Jesus, but Sherry was physically there to be the one to be like, but we're still going to be together, like it's still going to be okay. So all of these things, so he started to pull back this veil, and he started to make me realize, like, there's some things you need to think about, because now you're having to deal with it, because even though she's physically there, she's still unable. Like, we can't do the things that we used to do. We can't talk through the things that we used to talk through. We can't do that type of stuff. So that's, I had to pull back this veil and realize, like, listen, at the end of the day, I put my trust not in just Christ, but Christ and my wife, right? And the other thing that he did and, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know that you want to hear this from your pastor, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> you know what the other thing that he did? So when I'm sitting here looking at this, and he's, he's pulling back the veil, and I'm sitting in this, and I'm wondering why I'm so upset, and I'm wondering why I'm so mad about, you know, what's going on. What do you, you know what he made me realize? That there's this possibility that I love her more than him. Right? Like, I know you don't want to say that. Like, I know you don't want me to say that. But I just want to bring you this reality. When you sit inside of suffering and you let the veil get pulled back, you get to this place where you start saying, why am I so upset? Because if I believed what Scripture said, why? Why would I be so upset? Right? Because this is what I'm saying. This isn't our home. Right? I mean, isn't that what Scripture says? You're just a vagabond passing through to get to, right? Like this is just a temporary time. Prepare for the future. That's what scripture says, right? And that we're all gonna be together in heaven someday. Then why am I so upset? Why am I at this place where it's just digging inside of me? Because I'm at this place where, do I really believe what scripture says? That this is just a place we pass through and that we're gonna get, be together again someday, right? Like you can say all of those things, but then there's this place where, do I believe it? Do I believe it? 
And I had to come to this place where I had to, to, to really think through this whole idea. Is God really my refuge, my only refuge? Because he should be, right? Like, God should be my refuge and my strength, right? And what I'm realizing, what I was lacking inside of my faith was this idea that in Christ alone, remember the song? Christ alone. You know, where you stand and everything else is sinking sand. Is it true? Is it true that in Christ alone is where you, the solid rock that you're going to stand and everything else, including, like this is hard to believe, and I don't mean this as, as, as anything other than what it is, including the person that you love the most in this world. Because if it's not, right, what, what he needed to do with me is he needed to pull back the veil and be like, is it me alone? Am I your one and only refuge? And I, I don't want you to hear this because this is my own story of what God's doing with me. But believe me, God can do a work in you. I've said this to my kids and their husbands and wives. I'm like, in the midst of all of this, here's what you need to do. Don't try to like, run away from what God, the work that God's trying to do in you right now, right? Because inside of suffering, it's not just that it's with the suffering that Sherry's going through or that, that I'm there, but it's what is it that he's trying to teach you inside of this? And don't try to find comfort away from this, but sit in it to see what he wants to pull back and what he wants to see inside of you. And it's the same with all of us, right? Each person is, is different in their situation, whether it's your suffering or somebody else's. God's revealing some things. And instead of sitting in the back, be like, I don't want it revealed, I don't want it revealed. You just need to be open. Because the greatest thing that these tests will do, right, and the worship team's gonna come back up, so I want you to understand this. There can be no greater thing than what it says at the end of this. Verse four says, and this is where I landed. So I landed in this idea that, um, well, forced to land in the idea is I don't have anywhere else to go anymore, right? I don't have a place to go anymore. And so Christ is saying, then remember, I am your solid rock. I am the one that will be. I am your refuge and I am your strength. And I had to land in like, I still... In my mind, you know, I still wish that things could be different. I just think that's the human way. Like, I wish that they could be different. But I'm not going to take away what he's doing inside of me and the thing that he's revealing inside of me. And this is why, in verse 4, it says this, let perseverance finish its work. When you sit inside of suffering, if you persevere, then God can finish the work. If you close the door on the suffering and you close the door on pull the veil back and not just be honest with where you are, the work can't be finished because he says, when you persevere, it finishes his work, and this is why. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that's what he wants to do. And he can only get it done when you're willing to understand this. You live in a world, whether you like it or not, 
or whether I like it or not, where there's going to be suffering and trial. You don't get to change that, right? We don't get to magically say, well, I'm not going to live in a, you know, a, a world where there's something. And you don't get to say this either, right? Because anybody that's told you this, you know, that came to this place, like, well, I don't believe in God because what kind of a good God makes that happen? Right? Like, have you heard that before? Like, what kind of a good God allows these types of things to happen? Right? That's not what we get to do. We get to sit here and say, he is a good and loving God, not because of what happens in the world, but because of what he's done so that we can be with him for eternity. Right? Like, that's, when he says, I'm a God of love, that's what he means, I'm a God of love. It doesn't mean that I'm going to erase all these circumstances of life that come into you or all these things that are happening around you. They're going to happen. The question is, what are you going to do with them? Are you going to let the work happen? Are you going to keep hiding behind, like, I don't understand, so I'm just not going to deal with it, or I don't get it, so I'm not going to talk about it? Or are you just going to say, you know what, this is what it's revealed for me, and because it's revealed this for me, God, do a work. I don't want to stay here. I don't want to be at this place. And so I want to be where God wants me to be, lacking nothing. So I'm going to give you three quick things. So three things, if you want your circumstances to become pivotal, okay? Surround yourself with the right people. You have to have people around you. They're going to help you take a circumstances of life and turn it into something that's pivotal. Right? and move you to the place where God wants you to be. The second thing is this, is choose what you believe. Don't believe the lie. Right? Don't believe in a world that you're never going to have to experience suffering. Don't, don't believe in a world that, you know, in, in things that, that aren't true. Don't believe in Scripture. You know, when people believe in Scripture, don't believe what people of Scripture did when they said, why is that person blind? Did he sin? She's like, no, that's not true. Believe what is true, right? Believe what is true and choose how you frame your situation. Because right? we can sit all day long and we can question and we can ask and we can go down different roads or we can choose to frame it as God wants to do work in me and so I'm gonna let him do a work in me. I'm gonna frame it in such a way that, that he reveals what is lacking the test reveals what is lacking. And not do I just see what is lacking, but I allow him to fix it, right? And allow him to do what only he can do. Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, we just come to you, um, Lord, knowing that a lot of situations in this world don't make sense, Lord, and we don't truly understand how to, to, to figure out circumstances of life that don't go the way that they're supposed to go. So Lord, I pray today that you will unveil in front of us, Lord, that we will sit inside of this testing, inside of this suffering, and allow God to allow you to pull the veil back to see what needs to be changed inside of us. Lord, let us lack nothing. Let us be made complete by you. Let's not, let us not run away from suffering and testing, but Lord, do a work inside of us. Heavenly Father, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.
so hard to see it took me so long to believe it that you choose someone like me to carry your victory perfection could never earn it could give what we don't deserve it take the broken things and raise them to glory and you are my champion giants fall when you stand undefeated every battle you've won i am who you say i am you crown me with confidence i am seated in the heavenly place undefeated with the one who has conquered it all and now i can finally see it you teaching me to receive it so let all the striving cease. This is my victory. You are my champion. Giants fall when you stand undefeated. Every battle you've won. I am who you say. Crown me with confidence, I am seated in the heavenly place undefeated with the one who has Let's sing this out together. When I lift my voice and shout, every wall comes crashing down. I have the authority that Jesus has given me. When I open up my mouth, Start breaking out. I have the authority that Jesus has given me. When I lift my voice and shout, every wall comes crashing. Giant 
think for each one of us, the situations that we go through and the places that God puts us, and when he finally reveals to us what we need to believe, it is so powerful in the way that he can change us from the inside out. So I pray that this series on shakable faith isn't just more information, something that will transform your life, that you let God do the work that only he can do so that we can go out and do the work that only we can do. So thanks everybody for joining us this week and we'll see you guys again next week.